With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast. And here's your host, Ed McGrogan. This is the Tennis.com podcast. I'm Ed McGrogan back once again with Steve Tigner. I uh, want to catch up on all the various happenings, as always, on the tours. Um, but, you know, Steve, before we get into really the, the, the home stretch of the WTA season in particular, but, you know, the men's season is heading that way also, um, it, it's quickly become apparent over the past few weeks that we're witnessing something pretty extraordinary uh, from Novak Djokovic. This year just continues to look more impressive after every week. And, and you know, in, since we last got together, uh, he, he went through the Chinese stretch of the, of the tour season by winning two titles and not losing an, you know, not losing a set along the way. Uh, and he even called it the best stretch of tennis he's played ever, I believe. Is that correct, or did I read that wrong? He said, he said, um, officially, he said it's the best I've played back-to-back weeks. Okay, there you go. Yeah, so, still quite a statement to make, considering when you think of some of his Grand Slam um, runs before. Yeah, pretty good. You know, yeah. he he knows this is a peak. I think. Yeah, and and you know where I I think for a while. At least I had the opinion that, um, you know, his 2011 season was really untoppable unless, you know, he happened to win the actual calendar year Grand Slam. Um, you know, that, of course, was was put to the side way back in, in May and June at, at Roland Garros. Uh, but, you know, not quietly by any means, but, you know, sort of brick by brick, Djokovic has, is putting together already a season that has eclipsed his 2011 in wins. He has one fewer loss at this point. And, you know, the big thing is, you know, it's more uh, it, it's more sustained from beginning to end as, you know, in 2011, um, it was, I think, just more forceful when, when it, uh, from January to the U.S. Open than we you know, we really didn't see much of Djokovic after a lot of injuries played into that fatigue. And this year, that's not the case at all. Yeah, he seems more, you know, that was the first year he was number one, the first year where he really passed Nadal and Federer. And I feel like, you know, he just doing that and winning those three slams, he won the first 41 matches of the year. You know, maybe he hadn't settled in and didn't, you know, he he. He, um, like you said, he was injured at the end of the year. He also seemed to just run out of gas mentally. But this year, you know, he's done the full year at number one. Now this will be the fourth time, so he's he's totally settled in. You know, he's playing through the full year the way you know the way Federer did 
in in his prime years, winning all the way until the end. And Federer, Djokovic has been doing that in recent years. So, you know, I think this is the better year. He says it's better, and you know, it's hard to argue. He got to the final of the French this year was one match from the Grand Slam. Um, has lost one time before a final. You know, um, it's a lot like Federer's 2006. I didn't really think you, we it was Federer's 2006 could be topped without winning. The grants, you know, without winning all four majors, but um, Djokovic, at least for right now, has matched it. We'll have to see how he finishes. Federer finished by winning the World Tour Finals. Um, you know, we we'll see if Djokovic can do that. He's won the last three, so so that's definitely a possibility. Yeah, you know, I actually want to make perhaps a devil's advocate type point about really both of those comparisons. First, before we get to Federer, which I, which was the focus of your, your piece this week, you know, the one thing I do want to say about Djokovic's 2011 season that, that in a way, it's hard for me to, at this point to call that season superior to you know 2011 better than 2015, especially because Djokovic himself what came out and said it, like this is the better year. But the one thing you can't, forget about 2011 was this was you know right after a peak Rafael Nadal year where the dynamic between those two had clearly gone in um, in Rafa's favor um, Djokovic had not been able to solve Rafa on clay to that point and he goes out and not only beats him uh, on clay, he beats him twice. He beats him in four other finals, including Indian Walls, Miami, U.S. Open, Wimbledon. Um, and the one thing I remember about Djokovic's 2011 season is, you know, this, and this kind of goes back to what I'm saying about sustained excellence, and, and you know, as compared to, you know, just moments. I, Djokovic, I think, at that season was was playing more aggressive than he is now um you know i think hitting i think hitting with a little more uh abandon at that point but you know maybe the way that that 2011 season kind of petered out at the end you know what what perhaps djokovic may have taken away from that besides a lot of titles and, and a lot you know the number one ranking is that you know Comparing 2011 to now, you're definitely seeing a different game that he's playing, and I think that really the the way he views his game and how he needs to play to to have these sustained years, you know, his ambitions his ambitions are are very high. Every time you see a quote from him, he really has the top goal in mind at all times, and I think his game changed because of that. And I, now I think you're seeing possibly the, the best refinement of it. Yeah. It's, you know, maybe it's a little like Federer when he was number one for a couple of years, he, you know, he stopped trying to be as spectacular as he was. Um, not that Djokovic has ever played that way exactly, but maybe Djokovic has learned to sort of pace himself through a year figuring that he's going to be number one. You know, he may not have even thought that in 2011, you know, now he sort of thinks out the whole year as, how can I win pretty much everything throughout the year? But you're right. The, you know, there are different variables between the seasons in 2011. He played, he had a better Nadal to face, you know, Nadal wasn't anything like this year. He wasn't anything like what he was in 2010, 2011. And he had a younger Federer. I don't know whether Federer is better in 2010, 2011 than he was this year. He was really good this year, but he was also 30, you know, he turned 34 
So he didn't have either of those guys at their at their peaks, you know, that, that much you can say. But he did have two real, you know, this year is he had two guys, the all time, you know, Grand Slam leaders to beat, which is, you know, you can't say that's you have to say that's pretty good year competition wise. Yeah. And he he catches them at two. And I think Feder, you know, for what it's worth, I think you could definitely make the case that Feder in 2015 was better than Feder in 2011. Um, but it's a good point to make about both, both, you know, both of those Djokovic opponents that he, he you know, he's done, he's played so well against. Um, and you know, when you when you we bring up the Federer 06 as really, you know, the comparison because it, you know, it's really not. It really wasn't that long ago. I mean, I remember watching, you know, most of these matches that that Federer built that season on, and um, that people still kind of talk about um, lovingly in, in some cases for you know as really the ideal Federer season. Um, you know, when you when you get to, I think it's a close call to make either way, and the margins are really slim. You can you know you can kind of be talked into either one. Um, you know, one thing I I like to do in these cases and all these little parlor talks is, I think in in a, in some sense you almost can throw the numbers out the window and the stats, and it's almost like an eye test that that catch-all term for, you know. You know, when you're watching it, what do you, you know, who do you see as, you know, as, as really superior just by watching them play over an extended time? And, and that might be the only way that, that might be one way that I would still tilt the scales to Federer in, in 2006 because it just seemed like at that time, um, you know, Djokovic is clearly far ahead of his of his opponents this season. There's no denying that it, it, it still recalls to me that Federer was, you know, even perhaps a little further ahead at, at that time too. This is, um, you know, of course, before Rafa really turned a corner and maybe that's a, a big thing is that, you know, Federer may have been so far ahead of his opponents because, you know, Djokovic has better competition at this point. And, and that's where all these arguments are eventually going to go down to and, and kind of why it's fun to talk about. <clears throat> yeah. I think Federer, you know, if you're watching the you know the the best shots of Federer from 2006 and the best shots of Djokovic from 2015, you're probably going to think Federer was was the stronger player. Just he's you know he's more of a highlight reel player. Uh, but I think Djokovic is. I think you have to differentiate between who who looks the best and who's the toughest to play. You know, I you know Federer was tough to play. He you know he in 2006 obviously, but to me Djokovic is less about a guy who you who you watch and think is amazing to watch. But when you imagine trying to play against him, it's, it's, you know, it's to me, it's just as tough as playing Federer in, in 2006. Yeah, um, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, they're, the two seasons are really similar, amazingly similar. Three slams, both lost in the French final, both made the final of every tournament except one, both had twice as many ranking points as the next player. Um, I would say looking back, that I was thought, I, you know, I was, a, I thought Federer may have had a little better competition than he had, but I forgot that Djokovic wasn't even in, wasn't even around then. No, really, he, was, he wasn't in the top ten. That's the big difference, I guess. Djokovic has had to play Federer. Federer really among the top guys just had Nadal, a young Nadal, who was. Be- I think Nadal that year was better than he was this year, but he hadn't reached his peak 
at that point. So there's a lot of different variables, but I was, you know, I think looking at the, who, who played the players who are the, who will be the most, you know, the most hall of fame players and the players with the most other grand slams, Djokovic, Djokovic has the edge there for, for 2015. Yeah. And I, I think I'll close in a way because his name has been brought up so much in this discussion it, it is Rafa and, um, you know, as amazing as these two seasons are, um, when you think back to, you know, when you think back to, okay, what's Rafa's, you know, best career year, um, you know, in terms of majors, you, you, you know, you probably go with something like 2010, of course, when he wins uh, three of them. Um, but, you know, I still, I still, as we're kind of just talking about history here, I, you know, I still remember what we saw from Rafa in, you know, 2008, you know, that year, that ultimate breakthrough year. And, and, you know, when we, when these three are going to be linked forever, you know, now and many, many generations down the road of players. And, and I don't think, I don't think Rafa is ever going to be held up short to these two because of what he's amassed. But I, I think it's always worth remembering when we talk about peak Federer, peak Djokovic, Peak Nadal might be, in some ways, still the toughest of all to beat, and uh, and it just kind of just speaks to you know where these three are at in terms of the all-time game. He was tough. I was looking at his two two um, big seasons, 2010, 2013, three slams, you right. know, totally dominant. But he didn't dominate as far as overall ranking points the way these guys did, the way Federer did in 2006 and Djokovic 2000. He wasn't so you know far ahead um of of the second guy that's the one thing i would say this Djokovic and Federer just distanced themselves overall so much yeah it's it's clear as day with that as you can see um let's let's go um as i said earlier wta season very quickly winding down just over half the field for the wta finals in singapore has been uh settled by now the the final three spots to be determined this week um but i wanted to focus on you know who we know will be there and you know of course who we know will not be there that's serena williams and really kind of what this opportunity presents to the rest of that field simona halep um sharapova is playing she's you know sent some photos over social media that she is in Singapore. Uh, so she'll be playing really for the second time in about four, four months or so, four or five months. Um, hasn't played at all. Hasn't played a full match since Wimbledon retired, you know, in a brief showing in Wuhan. Um, you have Petra Kvitova, you have um, Garban Muguruza and Agnieszka Radwanska. All the, you know, all these players to me sort of scream like they could use this win pretty pretty badly and um and you know have a great chance to do it now yeah we know without serena there becomes who can who can take advantage of that the thing that seems interesting to me is we'll find out probably the winner of this will be the person we'd go into 2016 look saying this is the person who's going to challenge serena you know if if kvitova wins if halep wins if sharapova wins if well maybe not sharapova but if Russo wins, you know, they'll be that person will be touted probably as okay, here's the next Serena challenger. But is that person 
that player going to make it happen? Because it just seems like every year somebody comes out of this tournament looking good for the next year and just doesn't do it. Like Halep, Halep had an okay year this year, but she was the one last year. Lee Na the year before, Azarenka has come out looking good. Kvitova won it um, one time, and, and none of them have really followed up and, and really challenged Serena the next year. So, so I don't know. You, you know, we'll see who 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 the next person is on that list, and that that'll be an interesting aspect of this tournament. But it, you know, we won't know anything until next year, really. Exactly. On that note, uh, let's cut it for this week, and we'll return uh, next week when we know the full field for the WTA Finals. Uh, for Steve Tigner and Ed McGrogan, thank you for listening to the Tennis.com podcast. You've been enjoying the Tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.